0: Morning.
1: Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host, and we are now in the post-festive, the last few days of the last, very last section of that descending action of Jesus Christ, and therefore of the liturgical calendar of the church, which began, as we've been mentioning on our program last few weeks, with the birth of Christ. That's right. We're here now in that last final feast of the descent, that process of his descending. We went through his nativity, his circumcision, his baptism. Now we backpedal a little bit in in time, even though we're still on the descending element. We backpedal a little bit to go back to when Jesus Christ was only 40 days old as a baby. And this is his presentation in the temple. As we say in the Eastern churches, the encounter of our Lord with Simeon. Now, there you have a great example, once again, of the church breathing with two lungs. East and West both celebrate, observe this great event of Christ being brought into the temple by his mother and foster father, Joseph, presented in the temple, presented, see, the presentation, to the elder Simeon. Of course, there was a prophetess Anna there as well. But we call it by two different things, basically. The East calls it the encounter with Simeon. So, it kind of focuses on that piece of that story. The West presents it as the presentation, Christ being presented. Either way, it is the common link is, once again, and this is the final stage of it, this whole period of manifestation, of incarnation, of God showing himself forth in the form of a person, a human being, in human nature, Jesus Christ, while still remaining the divine God. This event takes place in Luke. It's seen, it's portrayed, written about in Luke chapter 2. Let's read that because we're going to look at how the scripture references here are very, very rich and full here. And then we're going to look at it liturgically. That's so what we do, especially in the Eastern churches. We Take the event, we look at its references in the Old Testament, sort of read backwards into the Bible, and then we look at it liturgically, how the liturgy, poetically, theologically, with chant and words and gesture, immerses us in this biblical event. Always remember the events of the Bible are not historical events. I mean, Yes, many of them were, they happen in history, but they're not to be seen just as history. Like we're remembering, oh yeah, Jesus was born, so we kind of celebrate that. The events in scripture, the characters, the stories, what happens is our stories. That's right. Every one of our stories, even now. And this is why in the genius of the church, we use the word today at the beginning of our prayers, today, We are in the temple with Christ, that kind of thing, as he's being presented. Today, we are at the cave in Bethlehem, because what is happening in the scriptures, notice I say is happening, I didn't say past tense, what is happening is in fact happening, and we enter into that, and it becomes our reality. This is the living dimension of the scriptures. That's why you should read the Bible and go to church, because the church liturgically immerses us into the Bible and to its timelessness. That's one of the values of church. You miss so much. And tell this to your young people, your young children, nieces and nephews, whether they're teens or they're young adults. That's the age groups that we tend to lose our faithful children. They're faithful up to that point, and then so many of them get unfaithful. They get influenced by the ways of the world, and they don't know fully, because we should always be constantly a student of the scriptures. They don't really understand The scripture or the church, what it's really all about. And what the church is about is immersing us in what this scripture is saying in the event it becomes our life, our event. So let's look at this event, Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 22. When the days were completed for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they took him, in other words, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be consecrated to the Lord and to offer the sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons in accordance with the dictate in the law of the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, awaiting the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Messiah of the Lord. He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform the custom of the law in regard to him, he took him into his arms and blessed God, saying, Now, Master, you may let your servant go in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in sight of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory for your people Israel." The child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be contradicted. And you yourself a sword will pierce, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived seven years with her husband after her marriage, and then as a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day with fasting and prayer. And coming forward at that very time, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were awaiting the redemption of Israel. A beautiful story packed with all kinds of very, very rich pregnant verses and references to the scriptures. So let's look at some of them. Because this is where you get the richness of this event. It's not just, oh yeah, okay, that happened, big deal. Let's go to church and hopefully the liturgy of the mass isn't too long and then we go out. No, 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 no. It's much more exciting than that, much more engaging. So let's look at the scripture. In the Bible, we're going to go back to Exodus, all the way back, way way towards the beginning. Exodus chapter 13, verse 2 says, The Lord spoke to Moses and said, Consecrate to me every firstborn that opens the womb among the Israelites, both of man and beast, for it belongs to me. Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, that place of slavery. It was with strong hand that the Lord brought you away. Nothing made with leaven must be eaten. This day of your departure is in the month of Abim. Therefore, it is in this month that you must celebrate this rite after the Lord your God has brought you into the lands of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, etc. Okay, so... Moses is getting this instruction from God, the firstborn son. It's a firstborn that opens the womb among the Israelites, both of man and beast, for it belongs to me. So it's the first one, especially if it's a son. And that is what we're seeing here with Jesus. So he's fulfilling what's happening all the way back in the prescriptions in the Old Testament you know, to Moses. Now let's go to Leviticus. We're still very early in the Old Testament. Chapter 12, verse 2, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites... When a woman has conceived and gives birth to a boy, she shall be unclean for seven days, with the same uncleanness as at her menstrual period. On the eighth day the flesh of the boy's foreskin shall be circumcised. And then she shall spend 33 days more in becoming purified of her blood. She shall not touch anything sacred nor enter the sanctuary till the days of her purification are fulfilled. If she gives birth to a girl for 14 days, she shall be as unclean as at her menstruation, after which she shall spend 66 days in becoming purified of her blood. Now, first of all, let's look at the numbers here. Seven plus 33, what does that mean? That sums up to 40. When was Christ brought to the temple? On the 40th day to be presented, and it was a ritual of purification. Now, the scripture says that it uses the word they or their purification. Do we mean Joseph and Mary? Maybe, or maybe it's Mary herself and Christ, but they use the plural, which is interesting. So, it's not just the Virgin Mary being purified here. Now, what does this purification mean? Sometimes it has a kind of a unfortunate, kind of an irritating ring in our ears today, especially among women, when they talk about the woman being unpure because she had birth. But we have to understand what this means in the context of that time in the Old Testament. Birth meant a loss of something from the woman's body, including blood. And so her ritual impurity meant that she went through something that, in a sense, makes her almost like death but something very, very special. There was something mystical, something almost beyond earthly ways, because the loss of blood in the Old Testament was considered to be a loss of life. So this woman is going through this incredible experience. That's the best way I can put it. It's not a bad, dirty experience, even though it sounds that way to us. It's an incredible experience where you're sort of almost like out of the body. You're, You're like, the woman is almost dead, in a sense, because she's losing blood, but at the same time, she's doing something miraculous, an event that came about because heaven and earth met inside of her womb. So, what's happening is the Bible's calling the woman to a kind of a re-entry, a re-entry, almost like, okay, come back down to earth now, come on, be normal again, because you just went through a very in a sense, surreal or supernatural experience with the loss of blood and the miracle of childbirth and child conception. And so, that's what this means. And here, this is what's happening in the Virgin Mary. 40 days, the seven days of her being unclean, and that was, of course, brought to fullness in Christ's circumcision on the eighth day. Now, we've got 33 days more And she adheres to this, although she didn't need it. She was perfect. Her virginal birth was different than that of a woman naturally. It was similar, but different. She didn't need this, but she went through it. Again, another part of that humbling, submitting of the Virgin Mary in Christ to Christ's own laws, although he was God. More about this when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Every day,
0: Father Loya posts a brief two-minute Facebook video we can keep light of the East's illumination bright. Father Thomas Loya invites you to an experience of a lifetime. Join him, along with Father Andrew Somerset and Laura Irachi for a Byzantine Catholic retreat and pilgrimage to Guadalupe, Mexico. Saturday through Saturday, this April the 20th through the 27th. In honor of Our Lady of Guadalupe, this retreat and pilgrimage to Guadalupe, Mexico, is designed to offer you an experience of culture and faith, as well as moments for personal and community prayer in the Byzantine Catholic tradition. There you will be able to venerate the miraculous image of Our Lady's image on Blessed Juan Diego's Tilma. For complete information and to register for the Byzantine Catholic retreat and pilgrimage to Guadalupe, Mexico, Saturday through Saturday, this April 20th through the 27th, visit the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. That's (laughs) ByzantineCatholic.com.
1: I'm Loretta Freilich of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal of Chicago and Pentecost today, and you are listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Pope John Paul II once said, Humanity, its dignity and its balance, at every moment and on every place on earth, will depend upon who he is for her and who she is for him. I am Father Thomas Loya with a Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. Why are we a man? Why are we a woman? Unless we know the why, we do not know the how to be man or a woman, and therefore we do not know how to really be for each other. The why behind being a man or woman is told in the theology of our gendered bodies. Our bodies speak a language. Gender reveals God. Through gender, we can actually participate in the way that God loves us. We can love as God loves. Human sexuality is an icon of the very interior life of the Holy Trinity. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East on this last part of the descending action of Jesus in his incarnation, and we'll move towards now the ascending, but we'll go through the penitential period. We're coming up on that. It's kind of overlapping. And then we'll have the ascending period all the way to Pascha. Christ's resurrection and the ascension. But we're looking at the scripture references for this wonderful event in Luke chapter 2, this feast day of Christ's encounter with Simeon in the temple, or also called the presentation of our Lord in the temple in the western lung of the church. Let's look at now First Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 24, it says this. I'll read up to it. When Elkanah had relations with his wife Hannah, the Lord remembered her. She conceived and at the end of her term bore a son whom she called Samuel, since she had asked the Lord for him. The next time her husband Elkanah was going up with the rest of his household to offer the customary sacrifice to the Lord and to fill his vows, Hannah did not go, explaining to her husband, Once the child is weaned, I will take him to appear before the Lord and to remain there forever." I will offer him as a perpetual Nazarite. Her husband Elkanah answered her, do what you think best. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord bring your resolve to fulfillment. And so she remained at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Okay, it says here in 1 Samuel that it was Samuel's mother who said, I will offer him to the Lord. I'll bring him to the temple. Now, she could not have a child. So once again, we have a hint at Christ and the Virgin Mary. Christ's parents, the Virgin Mary's parents, could not ordinarily have a child. And they had one, though, miraculously. The Virgin Mary was born from her parents, Joachim and Anna. And, of course, Christ came. He was born and conceived in a miraculous way through the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, but not through Joseph. So we have this hint now at Christ. But also, in the account of Luke the account in Luke of Christ being presented in the temple, it doesn't really say, there's nowhere in the Old Testament that the firstborn son had to be consecrated in the temple. But here, Samuel's mother says, I will do that. I will bring him to the temple and offer him back to God. So again, we're seeing an Old Testament reference that is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus always hearkens back to these Old Testament references. That's the geniusness, the beauty of the Scripture and of reading it, especially through the eyes of the church. Now, let's go to Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. It says, I, the Lord, have called you for the victory of justice. I have grasped you by the hand. I formed you and set you as a covenant of the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes of the blind. Now, what did Simeon say when he received Christ in his hands? He said, my eyes have seen a light of revelation to the Gentiles. There is a fulfillment of what is predicted, prophesied, foreshadowed in Isaiah. But another part of Isaiah, this is one of my favorite parts of Isaiah. This is chapter 6. Isaiah says, then I said, woe is me, I am doomed, for I am a man of unclean lips, living among people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, holding an ember, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth with it. See, he said, now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed, your sin purged. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? Here I am, I said, send me. Okay, and then it goes on. But you notice his lips are purified. The angel comes with tongs and picks up an ember and touches his lips so that he can speak the word of God. Now, remember that imagery because Isaiah feels that he's unworthy being called. He's rising up because God once asked, who will speak for me? Isaiah says, I will, I will. But he knows he's not pure. He's not perfect enough to speak for God as neither one of us are. So we have to be purified. So he's purified. And we look again now at Luke chapter two. And what does it say? When Saman took Christ into his arms and blessed God saying, now you may let your servant go in peace according to word for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in sight of all the people's a light for relation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. Now, we're going to go to the liturgical text. It says here, now remember Isaiah, remember the imagery, the angel comes and picks up an ember from the incense burning in the temple and touches Isaiah's lips. Now we go to the liturgical text. Think of now Isaiah, but think now also of Simeon. And it says here, O mystical tongs, How do you carry the coal? How do you nourish him who gives food to all? Ah, who is the tongs here? The tongs is the Virgin Mary. Because the tongs in Isaiah were not burnt as they were picking up the ember. The Virgin Mary has Christ who is also God himself in her womb. And so she becomes the fulfillment of those tongs. She becomes like mystical tongs. Oh, mystical tongs. How do you carry the coal? How do you nourish him who gives food to all? Here's another interesting verse from the liturgical text that refer to the scripture. It says, "'The aged Simeon does not hold me, but I uphold him, for he entreats me to let him depart.'" Now, let's think about that. That is really fascinating. That is ingenious. Here's Simeon holding him, and he's holding Christ in his hands, which is God. He says, my eyes have seen. But it says in the liturgical text here, the aged Simeon does not hold me. This is Jesus talking. But I uphold him, for he entreats me to let him depart. In other words, Christ is saying, Simeon's asking me to let him go. So I hold him, even though at the same time, he is holding me. That's just just amazing. It's just fascinating to me that you've got that incredible sort of mystical play on mystical realities there. They're both holding each other, but in reality, God is holding Simeon. Although in one sense, he's holding Christ, God is holding him. And so it is with us. We hold God in our arms too, but in a way even beyond Simeon's. Now imagine, Simeon, and here's the value of this feast day. This is how we're supposed to experience it. So it helps change our lives, our spirituality, heightens it, deepens it. We think about this, think that you're in church, you're reading these scriptures, you're making these Old Testament references, maybe at home with your family, with the family Bible, as I'm doing here. You're thinking about the liturgical text. And here's what we have to think about. Simeon is ready to die. He doesn't want to live anymore. There's nothing else to live for because he's holding God in his hands. Well, guess what? If he felt that way, how should we feel when we not just hold God in our hands. We take him inside of our entire being in the Eucharist. Can you imagine what Simeon would have done if he would have had that privilege? He wanted to die just from holding Christ. We hold him in our very body, and therefore our soul, our very being, takes him in, not just holds him, takes him in. Can you imagine what Simeon would have felt if he had that privilege. And that's the privilege that we have. And so our prayer, and in fact, it is our prayer, each Vesper service in the Byzantine church, it's also in the Latin Rite church as well. We pray that prayer from Simeon, now you may dismiss your servant, the Lord. We do that at the end of our Vesper service. We speak those words of Simeon because we have beheld the Lord in our prayer. But isn't that something we should say when we return from receiving communion? We should pray these words of Simeon and think to ourselves, even in our own words, God, there is nothing more for me to live for. You can take me now because you are in me and I in you, not just in my hands, but in my very being. That is the meditation that should be bowling us over when we attend church during this feast day. That's our takeaway. We see what Simeon recognized and knew there was nothing greater than, and yet we have something greater than Simeon himself. Listen to these words from the liturgy again of the Byzantine church for this feast day. While remaining young in spirit, you became old in body, O Simeon. Isn't that neat? He remained young in spirit because he kept waiting for Christ, but became old in body. Then we say this on the next page of our prayer book. <laughs> he who is ancient of days and young in the flesh is being brought to the temple by his virgin mother. He fulfills the promise of, of his law see that how they flip-flop it simeon is young in spirit old in body christ is ancient of days yet young in the flesh so they make that contrast kind of a a certain reciprocity a kind of a interesting complementarity a contrast again so much stuff that's ingenious in the liturgical text and the prayer of the church for this very ingenious remarkable marvelous light-filled feast day the event of christ encounter simeon his presentation in the temple. Thank you for listening. I'm Fr. Thomas Loyal on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and
0: click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media.
1: from around the world as it happens. Religious liberty, immigration, prayer, plus daily reports from the White House, Capitol Hill, and Rome. Get the Catholic news perspective on the things that impact your life on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.